This is the Create the Smarts podcast where you will learn to leverage your online following into a profitable, future-proof education business that you control without being at the mercy of sponsors or algorithm changes. Each week we interview the world's leading creators to find out what strategies they use to diversify, stabilize and grow their businesses. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, it's your Dutch friend Jan here and you are listening to episode 115 of the Creator Smarts podcast. Today I have a very talented person on the show. Um, he grew up in Australia speaking English and Indonesian from a very young age. Um, but nowadays he's also super fluent in Thai. He lives in Bangkok, has been living there for over 20 years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's also fluent in Indonesian and, a, uh, sorry, Chinese and a bunch of other languages. And... Um, you know, he's not just somebody who learns languages for fun. He actually has used them throughout his entire career. Uh, earlier on in his career, he worked as an interpreter. Um, but then later on, he also started facilitating trainings all over Asia for big cooperative companies. And then he would um, he would deliver those trainings in multiple languages all over the region. Nowadays, he's also involved in helping Western companies buying and doing business with um, companies in Asia. He helps negotiating deals and he gets paid a commission um, over the deals that are being made. So a very lucrative career. Now, on top of that, he's also a YouTube creator. I'm talking about Stuart J. Raj. Um, and I actually met Stuart about seven years ago for the first time. I was in Bangkok at the time. I was running my YouTube channel, uh, you know, the language-related YouTube channel called Language Boost. I did an interview with Stu. Uh, he's a person that I always looked up to. And um, I was really glad that, you know, I was able to <laughs> to meet him in person and shoot this interview with him. Now, fast forward seven years later, here we are. Um, Stuart is back on the show and a few years ago actually I also spent a few months in Thailand and he hosted me in his uh, apartment so I got to learn a bit more about what he does uh, I got to meet his wife and that dog um, yeah that was a great time anyway in today's interview we're going to learn about Stuart's uh, lucrative career he's going to show us what you can do with your language skills other than uh, interpreting, being a language teacher, or selling online courses. And uh, he's also going to talk about his, well, how should I call it, his career as a, as a YouTube creator. Why does he have a YouTube channel? Um, you know, and Stuart is not, he's not trying to go viral with his videos. He uses another uh, strategy to attract his um, ideal customers, right? He's actually almost against going viral and because he could easily go viral with his language skills, but he doesn't want to do that. And we're going to, we're going to discuss why. Um, we're going to talk about some of the, um, the, his newest programs that he has recently launched, um, how he is using um, Discord to build a community and deliver information. And um, Stu has been in online education for a while, so we're going to talk about some of the things that have changed, you know, in the last of the of the last decade and um, how we how we getting or how Stu is getting prepared for the future because everything is moving online right the future of online education is online um so we're going to talk about some of the opportunities that come with that so without further ado let's get started here's my interview with you enjoy 
Hey Stu, welcome to the Creator Smarts podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. So uh, my name's Stuart J. Raj. Most people in um, Southeast Asia know me as my middle name, Jay. My Chinese name, Wang Huaile. Uh, and language has been a part of me since I was very young. And right now for the past, I guess, 20, 25 years, uh, I've used it in the areas from facilitation um, and interpreting, and then going into more into actually um, getting hard skills in business, different industries from aerospace to oil and gas, modern trade, um, and consulting, working with firms all over Asia, putting deals together, and in general, um, helping Western companies build relations with the East, close deals, and also facilitation. Yeah. You also have a YouTube channel, which you started many years ago. Um, yeah. what, would you, what would you say is it that people can learn there? So, uh, very funny you should say that. Um, 2007, I think I started it, and that was basically just to put some clips up when I went on a uh, TV show here. Um, and so those clips went up, and I guess that was in the very um, nascent times of the polyglot online movement. Um, and then it became a repository for language stuff, uh, I, language and, and mind uh, tools. And predominantly, I guess, Thai was a very strong theme. Um, Chinese, Indonesian, different languages through there. But especially now, as of this year, and since my Minecraft program, I'm really, after all of this time, actually taking it seriously, because I realize if we're going to get the message out, YouTube is, I guess, one of the number one platforms to, to do that. And so playing the YouTube game to um, basically get the word out and make it a platform to bring all things language and mind and things that we're doing in Minecraft to the world. Yeah, so you talk about language learning, you talk about business, you talk about your career, you share some of the stories of the things that you have experienced um, doing business over the last, what, 20 years in, in Asia. You're fluent in Thai, Indonesian, Chinese, you speak a bunch of other languages, but take us back to the beginning. Where did it all start? If I'm not mistaken, you started out as an interpreter, is that correct? And tell us a little bit about how you got started as an interpreter. Okay, no, well, I actually didn't start off as an interpreter. Um, uh, I, how far back do you want to go? Um, I, uh, I started off uh, originally straight out of school. Uh, I was in university and my first week in university I walked in to do I was doing a double degree in education and um, linguistics and majoring in Indonesian and because I already spoke Indonesian from when I was young I was doing a project and I walked into the office of the ITPO the Indonesian Tourist Promotion Office and one of their people was about to leave on maternity leave and they were telling me at that time, Elle McPherson, if anybody remembers Elle McPherson, she was a famous model and she just did a campaign for Bali tourism and, every, you know, she was hot. And I thought, oh, man, you had Elle McPherson here working with you. How do you get a job like that? And they said, you want one? And this is my first week in university out of high school. 
Um, and so next thing, I'm working there. I'm, I, I said, I just told you I started university. It's okay, we'll work in with you. And two days later, they gave me uh, a wad of money, an airplane ticket. I flew up to Brisbane from Sydney and I had to present to business heads and tourism heads on Indonesian travel. And that was it. I, I worked for the Indonesian government promoting tourism and I built a good network. And then I still, you know, still did that for a while, started working for Sheraton, um, still at university. Then I was a flight attendant and so flying around. And then I came back and worked in the casino industry, uh, international marketing. And I was the Chinese department and, and Asian. And so we brought the, our high rollers in from across Asia. And um, when the crisis hit, I was also in Indonesia. So when the crisis hit in 97, um, that was basically a jump where Indonesia was my focal point across the Thailand. And so um, through all that time, interpreting was a core skill that I used. Um, but it was only um, then basically I did more formal interpreting, conference interpreting with UN agencies for um, there are a bunch of outfits here across Southeast Asia. So we did um, that and worked, you know, in the booths and then trained interpreting and the rest is history. Did inter I've done in interpreting's always played a role for many years, um, but it led into many other industries. Yeah, well, so you started your career with a bang from the beginning. Um, you also worked as a TV host for a Thai travel show, right? So. Well, again, it wasn't a Thai travel show. We call it in Thai, a tanpan black, which basically means um, things that are out of the ordinary. Um, and so it was a, a TV show. There were three of us, uh, three hosts. And my role was to travel all over the world to find the most bizarre, crazy places, people and things. And... Um, because I could speak the languages for many of the places that we went to, um, then I could actually go down on and speak with the people on the ground at all levels and then um, bring these stories back to Thai audiences. Tell us how, you know, working as an interpreter helps you to become uh, a trainer, right? You also used to, um, to facilitate trainings for big companies. And a few days ago, you uploaded a video where you said that interpreters can be dangerous. Share with yes. our audience what exactly you mean by that. Okay, so when we think of interpreting and the other stuff, interpreting was one side of my life. Um, training, I uh, that actually came from the marketing side and I ended up uh, working and being trained up as a Dale Carnegie trainer. Um, so that was that, that was separate and so I, and we would be doing presentation skills, business skills, and I'd be training in Thai to Thai uh, corporates, Thai, uh, both Thai public classes, and we'd go in uh, for, for corporate training. So um, from sales training, leadership training, leadership training for managers, high performance um, teams, high impact presentations, all of these things that are Dale Carnegie. And so I got, it took three years to get accredited as a Dale Carnegie trainer in the Dale Carnegie course and then presentations, had to get accredited in, in um, Washington, D.C. Uh, and then, then come back. And so I would train in Thai, in Chinese, uh, Indonesian, across the region. And at the same time, I came, so I'd, I'd come out, I was also doing interpreting gigs along the, the way. And so I'd be hired by UN agencies, 
um, by different corporates, by oil and gas companies um, to go in and interpret for different events, different delegations. And I realized that every time I go in and meet a head of state or I'd be doing a pharmaceutical, you're with like some of the top, top people on the planet. And rather than just going in and taking it as just another interpreting gig, I thought, well, heck, I actually understand this. And so I would try and learn as much as I could. I'd ask questions. I'd build networks of people. And you realize, especially being here in Bangkok, it's like this hub of Southeast Asia and across to Asia, there would be a lot of events here and nearby, so we'd fly in and out. And I would be able to learn about a lot of things from politics to pharmaceuticals to um, all these different things. That mixed then with the um, uh, facilitation that I was doing started to make an interesting product because you've got networks of all different industries and also facilitating. And actually through the interpreting um, contacts, I was introduced to Pepsi. And so at first, Pepsi just got me in to interpret for a facilitator that they had um, from Australia in their, their Pepsi here in Thailand. And I was looking and, and this Pepsi team um, in Thailand were in the training and they were just silent the whole way through. The guy was training in English. And after the training course, and I would be, I was interpreting it for them consecutively, I said, I took the guy aside from Pepsi and I said, look, what would it take for you to train me up to be able to run this course in Thai? And he said, you want to do it? Said, yeah. So I actually flew then to Hong Kong and over the next couple of months, they trained me up in modern trade, in reading P&Ls, in um, key account management for Pepsi and understanding Tesco because they need to get into the minds of the buyers. So I learned more about Tesco than many Tesco people know because Pepsi, they're kings of knowing all of this information. They trained me up in this and next thing you know, I was running the program in Thai, in Thailand. They, it, they were a riot. Thai people are amazing in training. So they weren't just dead. It was just the language issue. And so then I started running the same program in Chinese in mainland China um, and then running the same program in Indonesia. And at the same time, Tesco then was hiring me and I'd be doing their leadership training, both with the senior leadership, the level fives, and then also with their leadership teams in China, running it in Chinese again. And then oil and gas companies would call me in and different stories. But basically, over the years, I got then trained up to be able to train in oil and gas behavioral safety in modern trade for Pepsi and these, um, and then aerospace for the past six years. Um, and also for cybersecurity in different areas, I code and do this. And so on top of the language and the facilitation, also getting some hard skills in finance, in key account management, modern trade, behavioral safety, and you become actually a very valuable product in the region. Yeah, I guess a question that many people have who are listening, um, many of our listeners do have language skills. We originally started this podcast out as Langpreneur, right? So turn your language skills into a profitable online business. Um, how, how lucrative are language skills? Because just a, just a language skill, I mean, you can always become a language teacher or interpreter. So what you're really saying here is that you actually need to add skills on top of the language skills that you already have. And only yeah. then you become 
well yeah valuable to the I, marketplace I, I love i love language um and and you know i could talk about it until the cows come home however there's no money in language like like if you're talking the real real scalable businesses um the very few that can be language based and the reality is that the way you and i learn languages the majority of the planet doesn't want to learn language like that when they say they want to learn a language they actually want to be able to speak to a taxi when they go on a trip or order the food if they're an expat to be able to um maybe speak to the maid or whatever that they're there but they don't want to learn the language to the degrees that we speak and it takes investment of time there's no like like there's the passion but we put in the hours to learn the languages the way we do so if you're really going to make language money from the language it's like that so if you can then focus your energy that you would focus on learning a language to actually getting some other skills then then it's much more valuable because i can tell you i know the the rates for an interpreter if you're on a really really good rate okay maybe you're making $1000 a day as an interpreter okay uh $1000 $1200 a day as an interpreter um if you are working as a facilitator corporate um so you're looking at a baseline of about 3000 to 6000 US dollars a day they're very different um and then you know and then you've got travel and all of these other things but not only that you notice there's a certain stigma attached to the interpreters when you're especially in the west it's like almost like you're you're like the cleaning staff you you're just in there you just stay there and but if you actually can bring yourself up to these levels where you have some degree of authority on what you're doing and the language gives you an edge you're actually you've got an edge on the top top people in there and because of the networks that you can make so for example in aerospace um we were looking for certain skill set in being able to forge titanium I used my open source intelligence gathering skills and I located five people on the planet as well as a couple of places in China that we could start to move the supply chain. I jumped on a plane, went to China, did cold calls, went in and met the CEOs. We ended up building relationships with these people and ended up doing two um deals that were worth about 80 million to 120 million dollars each. um for the for Rolls-Royce in China with these um so you can take a percentage on your deal and you get your day rates which are around that 3 to 6000 US dollars a day compare that to what you do as an interpreter it's very different yeah so this is probably not for everybody right do you have more people in your network who kind of pivoted away from just being an interpreter to becoming a well a deal maker right that's that's, that's what you do nowadays or would you describe it that way more people I, i i i wouldn't call it a network the people i used to interpret with most of them um are still interpreting um but for me the interpreting was just a gateway and um it's a it's a, a opportunity to be able to get some really good skills the cognitive skills as you're doing simultaneous interpreting are fantastic uh but mainly you learn about you learn from the best minds on the planet because it's those people those top top people heads of state presidents 
CEOs of companies that get the interpreters, that they're willing to pay the bucks to actually use interpreters. So you get to actually befriend these people and mix with them and learn from them. And so those people then become valuable to other people and that becomes your network. Yeah. Can you give, just for our audience, um, this could be fun, can you maybe share a few examples of influential people that you have met that our audience might know or is this all top secret? Um, some of it I can share. I think it's no secret that I was for many years on the um, official Miss Universe pageant team, so Donald Trump's organization. And so we'd travel with the, the pageant around the world. So that was cool. Um, even to now, now, okay, I have issues with MLM companies, but in the very early days, I did conferences for Herbalife, uh, interpreting Indonesian uh, and other languages. And so I met some of the original, original founders of Herbalife to the point that they're actually in my Skype here. I just saw some of their names come up. And these guys are worth a fortune now. They were in with Mark in the, is it Mark Hughes in the original rungs of Herbalife. Um, heads of state. Um, and, and, and again, that led into um, the media as well. From interpreting, I, and I was also on the board of the Foreign Correspondence Club. So also then working in media. That all came from there. So then meeting heads of state and getting into um, other areas. So many heads of state from around this part of the world and coming in from um, other countries. Uh, you've probably seen that I also got heavily involved in people smuggling, um, not actually smuggling, but um, that's uh, my wife and I basically, we spent almost three years following after um, people smuggling gangs and getting kids who were the victims of people smuggling gangs released from prison. Um, and so you get to meet a lot of people there um, from all different areas. So from famous people to business, like top companies, uh, most of the top pharmaceutical companies um, and, and CEOs of all these companies, you'd be working with them. But yeah, uh, you get to meet a lot of people and UN agencies. So I think I've worked with almost every UN agency that's fun functioning in this region, um, especially um, agencies under UNDP. Have you ever thought about building a, a company with a team? Because you, like up until now, you're doing everything by yourself. Oh, I've had I've had companies with teams. Yeah, yeah, I've had I've I've had several companies over the years with teams. Um, they've grown, they've shrunk. I've had to move, had to close down, and start up again. Um, so yeah, I've I've had them. Um, this latest time back, um, we had interesting political situations. Um, back about 12 years ago in Thailand. And so a lot of things sort of ground to a halt then. And so um, we had to sort of downsize. And after that's when the um, people smuggling stuff came in and came, came back in, basically had to reinvent myself in what I was doing when I moved back here. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, I know you started on, well, on YouTube it was a long time ago. I saw that recently you've been more active on YouTube. Um, you've had a very fruitful career. So why? Why going back to YouTube? COVID. <laughs> uh, um, there was about uh, three years ago now, a friend, she was Thai. She's married to a Norwegian guy and they had an 11-year-old son. And they said to me, could you share whatever you can do with our son? Um, and I went, what do you mean? 
said everything from playing jazz to coding computers to security to um, languages, just everything. Whatever you can do, just see if you can impart it on our son. Thought, oh, this is an interesting project. Let me see. And so they said, look, to prove it to you, we're going to go and buy our son a grand piano because we want music to be a part of it. I play jazz. Um, and so I went to his place and I've got, I, I started teaching about harmonic theory. This kid never had a background really in music and started teaching him some things about scales and some you know, fairly interesting stuff about jazz theory. And he got it within the first day. I thought, okay, we could do this. And then I started teaching him how to use the terminal on the computer, how to use Vim. I started teaching him how to code in C and Bash scripts. And then we moved into JavaScript and building apps and building React and then how to code uh, and then how to use 3D authoring programs. And then how to, and we were doing language in Chinese, in Spanish, Norwegian, um, and Thai, and then deep skills in English and then research and then cybersecurity and how to do uh, pen testing on his building. And within 18 months, um, he had a formidable skill set across all of these areas. And so the next thing was, well, can we scale this out? And so in the beginning of this year, I was speaking to Verso International School and they just had a learning paradigm that was in line with the way I worked with this guy, Sean. And so we tried it and I developed my Minecraft program, which is all of that basically put together um, and it worked. And so now I'm running my Minecraft Evergreen program for people all over the world, teaching all of those things. There's the Minecraft language, but it's basically brain skills, using brain states, learning to use IT skills and everything. So you and then also under, deep understanding of phonology, how the brain produces sounds. And I've got a community now that just grows every day of people really getting buzzed, learning this, not just language, but it's all of these other meta skills. And so I figure, well, if we're going to get the message out, and I mentioned yesterday, these clips where people do shock language speaking just to get these shock reactions, I understand why they do it. And I understand they don't hate the players, hate the game. They're playing the YouTube game because the audience wants that. But I would love a world where audiences were just blown away from the stuff that people actually find with these languages and these other stuff rather than just getting shocks from strangers when white guys are speaking Chinese. Um, and so I figured the only way if you're going to play the game, well, you've got to get the message out on YouTube. And so I've set a goal for myself the next 30 days, at least I want to get a clip out a day and we'll see what bites and then keep it going from there. Yeah. I guess that's also the reason why this podcast doesn't have a million listeners, right? Everybody is on YouTube watching all the prank videos. Um, yeah. How important is it to go viral? Like, what are you doing now? What is your strategy? You're just trying lots of different topics and you're trying to, to gain a quality audience or how important is it for you, you know, to, to go viral versus creating videos for a small niche audience? I, for the people who've come into Minecraft, um, it's not a cheap program. Um, and so, but all the people who have registered, oh my God, they, they've blown, I've got from military attaches in governments to um, people with PhDs in computer science from uh, MIT, 
uh, old school com guys. And then I've got linguists. I've got people who are just school teachers. I've got young students. I've got the whole spectrum, but all of them are just passionate about learning everything. One guy is in his final year of university. He's stuck here because of COVID. And when he goes back, he's actually, I think he's going to basically just cancel the last year and shift his entire career. Um, so I want to target people who are really serious about using their brain and wanting to learn. I don't just, I don't want to have trolls coming in and being part of this. And so, but I really, from just seeing the feedback, I did one thing where I did some similar to what I, I did with you and Ollie back then, but did some, um, coaching on Thai. And so many people have been responding positively to that. I'm going to do one on Jen Senna. It's probably going to be um, on his Chinese and use that as a constructive thing. I don't want to tear people down. Um, I just want people to be built up. I don't want trolls. I want that to be built up. And hopefully, I believe that if we're promoting positivity, pushing the brain to its limits and doing awesome stuff with language and these sorts of things that we'll be able to attract an audience. And if the algorithm bites, look at like even Joe Rogan, he speaks about some really, really deep topics and look at his audience. So I have faith in the planet that um, not just prank videos could go viral, but let's see. Mm -hmm. You've been selling online language programs for a while, right? You also have J Academy. When did you launch that? Was that, by the way, your first digital project product? J Academy, yeah. No, not J Academy, by the way. J, so just basically change the first A to a J, Academy, and you've got a jacademy.com. And Minecraft.me. Um, but yeah, Minecraft, that's M-I-N-D-K-R-A-F-T dot M-E. Um, J Academy was our first one. And on and we actually had investors and, you, and we had people. We went and got some really cool developers and everything in, in the beginning. And that was, I guess, what? 2012 13 and we we put a lot into that and there was a lot of money dumped in that but then what we were seeing in these digital platforms because it was originally going to be a digital platform for any course holders we couldn't compete with what was coming out of silicon valley huh. and um you mean platforms it wasn't like teachable to be just me so who were the competitors Oh, there, there are a ton of them. But basically now I run mine on Thinkific. So Apple was a competitor, Google Schools, all of these. The stuff, just the money that they put into it and the functionality. So I run mine on a site called Thinkific, um, J Academy. Um, but the functionality that Thinkific provides was basically what we were building as well. And they've done a better job. So we couldn't have competed with them. So rather than just being the platform, then I put my stuff on the platform. So J Academy, rather than becoming this universal platform, it just became a platform for my stuff. And I've got about um, over 3,000 um, students in J Academy that are, that are subscribed there now. Uh, and now since Minecraft, that's growing every day, which I'm very thankful for. And for Minecraft, you're using a Discord server, right? Why do you decide to go for Discord and not not send people to your mailing list, for example. I have a mailing list, but basically, you know who is the reason why I'm using Discord? Benny. Benny, ah, yeah, I think Benny. I, I so think basically, sadly, when Moses passed away, um, we all had that project where we did the clip for Moses. And that was the first time I'd ever been introduced to Discord. 
Um, and I saw Benny was coordinating it on that. And that was about the same time that I started Minecraft. And I was looking for a platform just to communicate with the students who were already registered, that I could share modules each week and whatnot. And it worked. And I thought, oh, cool, this is actually pretty cool. And so then I started then opening the Discord server to everybody. And we've got channels on like all different languages. We've got a books channel. We've got on Terminal and Linux. We've got on just all the different topics under Minecraft. I thought, well, we can segregate, segregate it into those, the different languages, different core topics, and people talking. And it's working. And it's really cool. Have you ever, like, people get burnout learning just one language. But what we've found in Minecraft, you might be talking about, say, Chinese. Um, the same people, and then, oh, we jump across to one on data and Linux, your brain gets a breather. And you're talking about this other thing, and you can be passionate at full potential on these different topics. When you start to get worn out, just shift gears. And so this, the mind, we start, we've only had it open for, what, a month and a half, two months? And I think, actually, I can tell you right now, we have, uh, I'm just jumping in, I think 300 odd people in it now and growing. And these are all like passionate people about learning. There you go. We have, um, okay, 270 members on the server and growing. Um, but these, these are all people that are just want to learn, want to use their brain. And so I'm just going to keep that going and touch wood. We will get a community of people who are positive, wanting to learn. And if you're a troll, you don't have to come in. Exactly. And when you were referring to Benny, you were talking about Benny Lewis, right? From Fluent of Three Months. Yeah, yeah. Benny, Benny, Benny Lewis, Irish polyglot. Is, um, is, the, um, is it free to join the Discord server? Yeah. So, so the, again, so because of COVID, we've had to pivot and I've had to be able to make a living. So I have my Minecraft course. The hosting company where I used to have all of my free um, content out there, um, hosting company started to charge me. So you imagine 3,000 people in the thing, and now I'm being charged for their just being in my server. So I put a little bit of a paywall of $7 a month if people want to access that content. And as part of that, they can actually interact on all of the channels. Otherwise, we've just got a general channel that anybody can come in and interact in. And anybody can read the stuff in the channels, but if you want to interact, um, aside from the general channel, we'll then just subscribe for 70 bucks a year or $7 a month. Um, so that's basically how I keep it alive. And then I have my, my Cracking Tie Fundamentals stuff and then Minecraft. And we're just going to build that out. Um, but I'm just loving it. Uh, and I really hope that I can keep this going and make it sustain itself because I'm having a blast creating the content and seeing people um, grow and that people are getting new leases on a whole range of skill areas that they never thought that they'd ever do in their lifetime. One guy, he's about 72, 73 years old. Sorry, even Ian, if I guessed your age incorrectly, but he's retired British guy and he's just started using Linux and the terminal encoding for the first time in his life to learn Russian. Um, so, and he's just done his first USB Linux installation. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Have you, um, have you also promoted your, your more, so Minecraft is, is the more expensive, uh, program, right? Have you pr already promoted that on the discord server and how did people respond well, to the that? Well, the discord server is Minecraft. Okay. It's the Minecraft discord server. 
Um, so it's for people who have signed up for the program? Originally, it was for people who signed up for the program. Now it's just for everybody. Um, so, so basically, actually, I tell you, look at this. If you have a look there, you can scan that and you can become part of the Discord server. How's that? You've got to love technology. Um, and anybody can come in there and you'll see the conversations there are just mind blowing. Um, they're like the book clubs and, and you know, we, there's some awesome, awesome people. The other thing is it's like a family. So no matter what level people are in language or whatever language or in computers or whatever, it's just like they're supportive and people are excited to see you learn. Um, which is, it just, I didn't even imagine that the discord server would become what it was. I just thought it was just going to be a communication channel. Like we used with Benny's thing to do the project and it's just turned actually into this, the, the golden egg. It's just like amazing where everyone's discussing stuff. And a lot of people come in that maybe didn't intend to come into Minecraft. They just wanted to check it out. So they actually see, Oh, holy crap. These, you know, look what these guys are doing. And so then they join. Um, but you don't have to join Minecraft. You, you can just come in and be part of it. And um, everyone's awesome. Yeah, so you have the community, which is uh, which basically is a $7 per month mem membership. And then for the people who uh, are really interested. Well, the community interested. is free. The community is free. Um, the the, the J Academy member, so if you're going to participate in the non-general channels, so all the language-specific channels or the thing. Well, then, then that, that's the subscription. But other than that, you can read everything and you can participate in the general channel for free. The community is anybody. Yeah, so the community is for free. The general channel is for free. And then for people who want to join the conversations on the other channels, uh, there is a $7 per month membership. And now for yeah. the people who are really serious, they can sign up for like the 11-week the program. program. We, we, yeah. yeah, and then we do the, we have like weekly sessions together where we do face-to-face -face coaching online with the group. Um, there's actually private channels for the actual class groups where we talk about the stuff in the class. We have projects um, and it's, and so that's actually a proper 11 week course with content that's going to last you out a year. Um, and so people will see things that are being discussed in different Minecraft channels. I think, oh, holy shit, what's this? Um, but that's actually stuff that's carried on from the actual program as well. But people can access and read anything. Um, but if they want to participate in the other stuff, yeah, it's, there's a little bit of a paywall, but not much. Mm -hmm. You've been in the online education space for quite a while now, first with Jack Academy and then with uh, and now with Minecraft. What are some of the things that you've learned? What are some of the things that have changed over the last, let's say, 10 years? Yeah, so Minecraft is run on J Academy. I think um, one of the the um, silver linings of what's happened over these past year is that people now know how to learn online, um, and they they're used to it. Now, I honestly, I personally hate Zoom meetings. I love the human interaction, but you got to do it, um, especially here when you're in lockdown. And so people are realizing that. Not only are they realizing that, though, could you imagine if you're going, you, like, we we'll use Thailand as an example. A good international school here, you're looking thirty to fifty thousand US dollars a year for a kid to to per child to go to that school. These schools all of a sudden got thrown into. Oh, by the way, you've got to learn online now, and they've got subpar programs where the parents are still paying full school fees and cannot go to work because they've got to supervise their child 
And many of them are thinking, well, holy crap, if I'm going to be paying that money, they could be learning from some of the best people on the planet online. And it will be not much of a different experience to learning with the school down the road. And so now people are actually realizing that they can reach out from anywhere on the planet from all different walks, not just people who are just doing some online courses before, but they're turning online learning into their core source of learning. And this is why I believe that data, everything you do is data, even in online learning, every scroll, every time you subscribe, every time you open a web page, that data is being recorded somewhere. And so to become data literate is what's going to give people an edge in the future, especially with learning. Um, this is why we teach people how to gather, do um, scraping of data, especially for language learning. You don't need to learn from textbooks anymore. If you've got those skills, you can scrape the data from real, from, from web boards, from social media. And so people now are becoming more and more data literate. They're knowing how to learn. And anything then that's targeting at that, you're going to get a benefit as we move forward. So this is the biggest thing about online learning is that people now are educated on how to use online learning. Yeah, so everything, I mean, education was already shifting towards online, right? COVID has accelerated that process. So we all know that there is a big opportunity for people with unique skills because we can teach online. Online businesses are very scalable. How big is that opportunity if you compare that to the other business, the, like the consultation business that you do that we talked about earlier? How are you going to def divide the time? When, well, I was, when that's well, the back. beautiful thing about this is, so I mentioned that the Minecraft program originally started as a face-to-face, -face, like literally physical, physically at the school. And then because of COVID, we all had to do it remotely. And so I started doing these sessions and recording them on Zoom. And then when I opened the other course up online, I'm thinking, why am I double dipping? Why am I doing this content twice? I, why don't I just record it once and then we can actually do something fresh every time. And so now I have this, all of this content, it's evergreen and it will constantly be evergreen, which will free me up to do other stuff. Now I was just with a client before I came in and spoke with you, one of my long-term clients, and he is seeing in his business that people that he's hiring are all doing it from remotely, but a lot of them are getting lazy and actually now in some places they can go and see the clients, but they're just not. He said he was with one client that they're paying on a retainer and he was doing a business meeting with them. And as they pull back from the cam camera, they had an oven mitt on and they were baking cookies while they were supposed to be working for him. And so I think in business, there's still going to be a need where people go out and do business and see people. And I love that part. Um, but now I get to have the online side and I get to do the real life side. Um, uh, I think the online is just giving us an extra facet um, that is a bonus that we never had before. Yeah. Have you ever thought about facilitating online trainings for your corporate clients? Uh, I do that. Through your Minecraft program. You have already done, you're already doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do that. Do that already. So, um, yeah, we, we, we already run uh, programs and, and things like that. So that's that's done. And we're actually looking for corporates. The thing is with corporates, like if you, if you look in the Minecraft server, there's the QR code, um, you will see that 
people are full on. They're like passionate. There's one thing. You cannot be forced to do Minecraft. Like if your boss comes in and says, you're going to this course, it's not going to work because you've got to want to learn. And so um, I'm giving some parts of it a lobotomy. So, for example, salespeople mightn't want to learn the language, but they could definitely, if I could show you open source intelligence gathering skills where you could build up um, lists of people, of emails and, and executives, potential clients of over 60,000 people, you could do it in a few hours. I think those skills, sales teams, marketing teams, managers who want to know how to use certain data skills and analytic skills, machine learning. And so I'm going to be doing little different versions that I think we can do directly to corporates. And maybe I'll do some uh, interactive sessions with them and then have the other core modules that I've already done in Minecraft that then they can do on the side. So yeah, we'll be doing corporate versions, but um, for me, the most fun bit are the people who actually really want to learn. But again, like people who realize that they have to go out and do shock and awe clips with their languages, pranking people on the street speaking Chinese. I realize that the bread and butter, if you want to hit mass, you have to have something that's going to appeal to mass. And not everybody wants to learn languages, especially to the level that we're learning. So I'm going to give the market what it wants as well. Yeah. Now, I have a difficult question for you to end this interview. Um, I don't I, I don't think. Anybody has the answer, but let me give it a try anyway. So the reason why people go to school and university, or one of the reasons is that they feel more motivated when they are in a classroom, right? They might be more disciplined and they can socialize. For some of them, it's also more fun. How do you think we can replace that aspect in the future when we do everything online or when we do at least more online? Have you thought about ways to make online programs more social or... How can students Polo be more? Clubs. Sorry? Polo clubs. No, like we're, we're actually in a, I say that tongue in cheek, but there's actually a, a um, piece of truth going through it. I have a young daughter, 16 months old, and we're looking at her schooling um, and what's going to happen. And for me, it eats my soul to think I'll be paying those kind of school fees with this thing back. The one reason that most parents send their kids to these schools here in at least this part of the world is for the network, the network of the people, because these are the people that run the country, that run the region, that your kids are going to be mixing with at school. So it's that social element and it's the sports clubs and everything. So right now, um, while kids are learning at home, there are still some of these networks and one of the big ones in Thailand is polo, people playing polo. And so a lot of these families that they would be going to school with, they're doing sports and things like polo outside. So I think other recreational activities and things and other ways that people are going to get the social element from things, the interactive element. But, you know, my daughter, I just it's eating my soul seeing a whole generation of young kids growing up not knowing human contact. Um, so I, I love the human element and I don't want her to go without it. Um, I want. I don't want online learning to be the be all of education. Um, but at the moment, it's one element. I believe that schools as we know it will be shifting because there's no reason for you to be paying all of these ridiculous fees, especially if you're not getting the networks in this part of the, the thing and, and your parents can't actually work like they used to. I think people will still start to shift away 
and um, they'll be finding alternate social groups for the actual physical contact, contact, and learning will be done uh, online. My daughter, so I have grown up kids as well, 17 and 18 years old, and my daughter's about to finish high school in Australia. She's Thai, but she's done her education there in Australia. I think her plan is to move back to Thailand and she'll be working, but she'll be learning remotely her university degree in Australia. Um, so that's also an option now. It wasn't an option before. Um, so yeah, there, there are options now. So people will be learning more and more online, but it will still be a need for networking, socializing, and you think that you know, things like golf clubs, as you said, or golf clubs, polo clubs. What else do we have? Like bit work, yeah, business networking events. Um, this is a big opportunity for them then. Yeah, well, not just that. We're human beings. Human beings need human contact. Um, and I shudder to think what an entire planet or a generation that has had lacking human relation skills what that's going to be like i even even me my wife and i we were dating pre-tinder and so i come from old school where you actually had to go cold call cold call um you know women that you wanted to speak to you know in the bar or on the train or whatever you actually had to walk up to them and and use those social skills now there's tinder and people just sort of swipe left, swipe right. And now it's removed even more where there's almost no human contact. Um, I, th I hope that after COVID, there'll be a renaissance of people just yearning this human contact uh, and getting in and building those skills up because the world's gonna be a scary place if people don't know how to actually interact with other human beings. Yeah, so there might be the next opportunity then to run business networking events, maybe even physical trainings where people learn how to interact yeah. with other humans. Yeah, how to actually go in and, um, and speak to a stranger. <laughs> yeah, Sounds exciting. Yeah. Stu, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom today with our listeners here on the podcast. If people want to learn more about you, where can they go? Oh, uh, jacademy.com or minecraft.me, I guess, at the base place. That's M-I-N-D. K-R-A-F-T dot M-E, or you could scan that and you'll see everybody in there. Uh, scan that, um, jump into the Discord server or Jacademy, J-C-A-D-E-M-Y dot com, and you'll see everything in there. But um, yeah, just come in, talk, see what's going on. And Jan, you're welcome in as well. I think you'll have a blast. Um, it's so good to see you. And by the way, you can tell Oli, I've been learning Russian and I love his um, Russian reader. Um, the short story it, books the short story book it's i i tell you what they those things are gold and i've bought them for several languages for italian um my wife was learning italian and um ollie's on a winner there i'm gonna send him the audio recording of, of this little clip here um Stu, yeah. thank you so much and for our listeners also make sure to check out his youtube channel Stu j raj i will put the link in the description sure looking forward to talking to you next time Thanks, Ian. See you later. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode. And if you like this episode, then please give it a positive rating in whatever podcast app that you're using. And if you want to listen to other interviews or just learn more about what we do, then make sure to go to our website, creatorsmart.com. See you on the next episode. Ciao.